Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to check out The Burnham Project on Substack. You can get Burnham Podcasts. You can read my blogs and all sorts of cool stuff. It can even be sent right into your inbox. You can also watch us on Rumble and YouTube. We like Rumble better, but you can also watch us on YouTube. You can also find Burnham Podcast anywhere that you find your favorite podcast. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, click the little bells, the Rumble button, whatever the service has to offer. Click it, do that, follow us, tell people about us. Thank you very much. Look, y'all, I got Dr. Shane Clements on this episode. Uh, Shane is a, a machinist by day. He's also a, been a minister for 30 years, been a pastor off and on. Um, he's also a certified hypnotherapist. Buckle up. That's what we're talking about in this episode. Welcome to Burnham Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Burnham. When that light comes on, that's how we know. <laughs> it's go time. We good? We still good? Everything good? Audio good? Video good? Cool. Well, then we're live. Here we are, as promised, with Dr. Shane Clements. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you good. for having me. What I was about to get into while we were just off air two seconds ago was that we may rehash some of this conversation that we've been having for the last 15 minutes. That's fine. Um, for the listener, you know, they don't know what we talked about, so exactly. it'll be new to them. Um, you wear a bunch of hats. Got a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. So you're your dad, your granddad, your husband, your father, your hypnotherapist, yeah, uh, pastor, sign language, man, all this stuff. So let, let's talk about you. Let's get into your family first, um, which is what we were, I guess, most recently talking about. Um, you got a big family. Yeah, yeah. We've got five children living. We've lost two mm -hmm. uh, over the years. Our uh, they would have been twelve and fourteen okay. this year. So. Well, that's what I was. I, I hadn't, hadn't didn't know that about you. And I, we we lost uh, Joseph to almost two years ago to the day, and then we had a miscarriage also, kind of mm -hmm. like you guys were in. But I didn't I didn't know that you had also lost a child. So you, you understand what that's yeah. like and the road to bounce back from that. Yeah, yeah. With the uh, and and with Michael, the he had a genetic disorder, trisomy eighteen, mm -hmm. and. Uh, with all of the information that we got at the time, it was, you know, it was questionable whether he would even make it to term if she would carry him all the way. But right. then we had the C-section. She had it done. That's the only one of our children that she had a C-section with, and it was to give him every fighting chance that he had. Right. Uh, with all of the issues that he had genetically, and he was, uh, he had what they call an emphalocele, which the intestines were actually growing on the outside of right. the body. So that's why the C-section was okay. was uh, necessary for that. But uh, he lived 18 days, and, you know, every every possible opportunity we get, you know, he had to live, we made sure it was given to him. Right. Um, but his his little body just was tired of fighting yeah, at, at that yeah. time. That's and, a lot to ask of a kid and, that Yeah, size. and it's, it's like we were back and forth to Atlanta every day to the mm -hmm. hospital with him. So, it, you know, and it, it was one of those things. It's like, you know, this is part of us that we're letting go back to the Father now. Yeah. That yeah. he had given it given him to us for this time. We got to experience it. We got 18 days with him. We learned a little about his personality. Yeah. And one of the things about his life was that it it 
reached around the world. He, you know, his story made it around the world mm. through the power of the internet, and yeah. we've made friends all over the world that we never would have known, you That's know, awesome. without him. Well, it is, as hard as that is, it's good to know that their story and their memory remains. Yeah. Um, I know that helps us. Uh, when people say, hey, I remember when Joseph did this or, mm-hmm. you know, when this happened or he said, you know, whatever. Um, it helps us to talk about it. I, or do you feel the same way? To- we do. And, you know, that's what we let po- folks know is we're, we're comfortable talking about it, right. you know, about what he went through, what we went through, the things that we faced, the challenges we faced, you know, back and forth to the hospital yeah. every day, um, you know, what my wife went through because – you know, the wives go through a lot more than the fathers do. Yeah, and yeah. and so, you know, and we're we try to be as open as we can so that if there's other people facing similar situations, maybe something in our story can help give them the encouragement they need. Right. So as you're going through all this and I'm trying to put a timeline together, um, you're also an ordained minister. Right. Were you a minister at that point? At that point, I was. We were. Um, let's see, that was in 2009 when we lost him. So I was doing, still doing the missionary work with the deaf and hard of hearing. Uh, and I was actually interpreting at Gordon Central, uh, when we went through this, uh, uh, well, I was interpreting at Calhoun City at the elementary school and at Gordon Central. So I was back and forth between those two schools. So you were, you're already in ministry, um, Obviously, that's the worst thing any parent ever has to go through. How does your faith, this even sounds like a silly question to ask a fellow believer, how does your faith uh, get you through that? What did that do for your faith? Right. It, you know, and a lot of folks, it's different for everyone. You know, every, every time any, anyone faces a challenge, there's no one way to go through a challenge. Right. You know? And so our faith played in the fact that, you know, and it's like anything else. We questioned a lot of things sure, during this sure. time. You know, it's like, why me? What have we done wrong? What, you know, yeah. what did we do to cause this to happen? And then you go back to when the disciples were asking Jesus, well, who sent him or his parents yeah. to cause him to be blind? And Jesus said, neither. Yeah. Neither one sinned to cause this to happen. This happened for my glory, for my benefit, so that you right. can see the power of God. And so, you know, we go through that questioning all the time when things happen to us. But, you know, when we turn back to the scripture, there is power there yeah, that will help yeah. get us through. That's awesome, man. And I, I have talked about that before. And I've said, you know, when, when the night Joseph died, my wife and I agreed verbally, like out loud together, that this had to point people to Christ. That was the only good that could come from that. And it yeah. sounds like that's been the same for you, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's and you know I I put up on a, a blog post and the different the time of frame and the events that we went through with Michael mm-hmm. Z and his story there and and again it's it's reached around the world. That's through. awesome, man. That's the the power of the internet, I guess like you yeah. say it, it gets the word out and and you know it, there are certainly criticisms, but at the end of the day that's a good thing, you know, to, to be able to get that out and spread the gospel. Exactly. That's what I, I tell folks that I feel like if the Apostle Paul were here today, he would be using Twitter or, <laughs> be on Twitter, or right. Facebook or something. I don't yeah. know about TikTok. But. Probably not TikTok, <laughs> but I, I don't know. Maybe. Whatever it takes, I guess, to get the gospel out. 
But uh, so, how long have you been in ministry? Uh, I've been in ministry thirty plus years now. So it was ninety-one when I surrendered to preach. Yeah, and so I uh, preached my first sermon. Probably about two weeks after I surrendered to preach, I think it was all of five minutes long. That's how it that. goes, right? The first one is seven <laughs> minutes long. Yeah. And now, you know, an hour and a half later, they're having to, like, cut the lights right. out. Right, guy's pointing at his watch <laughs> in the back of the sanctuary. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Now, are you currently a pastor? No, not right now. Yeah. I'm not a pastor now. The machine shop where I work at, I've worked nights and weekends there mm-hmm. for the most part, and... Uh, work a lot of Sundays. We've slowed down, so I've had a few Sundays off, but yeah. right now I'm not pastoring anywhere. Uh, we're kind of doing um, the home church type thing. Oh, yeah, cool, good. That That is a seriously underrated uh, a type of church, I guess, so to speak. Exactly. Um, I've done that before. We're a small church here, but I've done home church before. We did it mm-hmm. when I was, I was 10, 11, 12 years old. Um, when you get in that that home setting and you're in worship and you're in prayer and you're in song and all these things, there's nowhere to hide. Right. Right. In big church you can get in that back <laughs> pew and you can kinda of disappear. In there, but, yeah. But yeah, there's nowhere to hide in that in that small room. That's especially, you know, we, we even as small as our church is, we still sit in rows. But if you're mm-hmm. sitting in the couch across from me in the in the recliner and we're looking at each other, there ain't no you know, there's nowhere else. But it, it, I feel like it creates a genuine experience a lot of yeah. times, or it should at least. And, and that's one of the things I've I've really been looking into and studying is is on that aspect, the organic church, you know, the smaller house churches and how the you know, the New Testament early church looked. Yeah, sure. That's just how it was, right? You yeah. just had church at, at somebody's house or, or whatever space they might have owned or but it was no less church than these churches over here with the big steeples and the bells right, and all that right. stuff. And, and that's to me is, is, is it, for each person, it's an individual thing that if you're going to be led to worship truly in that setting, then that's where you need to be. Yeah. You know, if you can worship truly, truly worship, then at home, then that's that's where you need to be. So, at what point though did you realize like you were going to be a pastor? What was the thing? Uh, Always seems to be one thing, right? Yeah, well, you know, it was when I was five, went to kindergarten, Christian kindergarten in Somerville, Georgia, at Mm -hmm. Calvary Baptist Church. They Mm -hmm. had a Christian school there. And I didn't know it at the time, but my parents were told that the Lord's probably going to call him to preach, mm. you know. And, and so I'm thankful they didn't tell me at that time That's so that, it, right, that it, wasn't, it wasn't an influence on my life. Right. Then later, my granddad told my dad, he'll be called to preach. And and it's like, ah, you know, and I still, they didn't let me know. It was These yeah. were not yeah. things that were influencing my decision. Um. And then, you know, I was in church as a kid growing up, did all the, the youth things, the activities, right. uh, was a member down at Pleasant Hope Baptist Church, okay, so yeah. uh, that's that's the church I grew up in. Uh, and then my cousins went over at Hollywood, and so I would go with them to Bible school. This is my parents and, go to Hollywood. And so we would hit all the Bible schools, you know, during that <laughs> right, time. Yeah. Back then, they would do them, you know, during the day yeah. and you know, instead of at night. And so we would hit all of the daytime Bible schools yeah, and then yeah. all of the nighttime. Right. But, but yeah, that's where I grew up. And so, you know, I had the church influence all my life growing up. Yeah. Um, but it's when my wife and I started dating. The first time I called her up to ask her out, she's like, 
well, I'd like to, but we're having a revival at, at my church, and I can't go then. Okay. And so I got shot down. If there's but, a good reason to get shot down, <laughs> but, that's it. That's kind of like the three the three guys with the excuse for not showing up that they gave the Lord, right? I yeah. have a wife, and I can't go. Right. Out, of, out of all of them, he's had the most legitimate <laughs> excuse, right? <laughs> there so, you go, yeah. But... Uh, but so we waited, we went out the next week, and then she invited me to church with her. So I started going to church with her there. And, um, you know, after a while, about a year, year and a half after we were dating, felt like I was feeling the call to preach. And uh, I waited for confirmation, you know, and then I would be out deer hunting, and I'd be like, Lord, if you want me to preach, you know. Send me a twelve point buck across right, right. The, yeah, give me a right here, right in my sights, and I'm, you know. But we know he don't work that way right. all, all yeah. the time. He can if he chooses he can, to, but yeah. that's that's not how he normally right. It's not works. typically a it's, ray of light it's, and, it's, and usually and, that still small voice, yeah, right? So, right, right. But, you, and, but it's unmistakable though, right? It is. It is. It was. It consumed my life. Yeah. You know, it was a constant thought that consumed me, and to the point that I had to surrender or. Yeah completely get away altogether yeah and just or be miserable you know, yeah just trying to be somewhere in between yeah and so that was in 91 uh when i surrendered and, and preached my first sermon so how long did you preach before you were a pastor several years before i pastored the first church that i took a pastor it was in 2006 and it was up in somerville okay and uh so I was there for about two, almost two years yeah. at that church, and it was my first church, and it was a learning experience, to say the least. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I was young, and you know, fresh out of Bible college, yeah, and yeah. and uh, come from that independent Baptist mindset, you know, yeah. and so I had a lot of learning to do there, and so <laughs> yeah. uh, some of the members and I, we worked together to help. <laughs> trained me to become the man I am today. There you go. Yeah, well, that's what it takes, right? I mean, it's people think that as a pastor, like that guy's on an island, right? He's got to yeah. figure all this stuff out for himself, and it a lot of times that's the case, and that's how pastors get burned out. But to have those people around you, um, and it's not always a fun or easy thing. And sometimes it's just them going, "Hey, dummy, yeah, you know, let, let's do it this way." <laughs> going, oh, yeah, you're right. I see, you know, but. But to have that support system, yeah, is that, that helps a ton as a pastor. Yeah, well, well, one of the learning experiences there was the the youth had a Sunday school class, and they were all excited that they wanted to make it their class. You know, yeah. they wanted to feel like they had a place there at that church yeah. because it was a lot of older folks at the church, you know, and so just a, a handful of youth. And so they asked, "Can we paint the Sunday school room?" And I'm like, "Sure." And I went and bought the paint for them, you know, and let them get in there and just. Go to town, hand you know, handprints, yeah. paint everywhere. Tango, we've been there before, right? And uh, <laughs> there were a few members that were out of town while that happened. When they come back, it didn't sit too well yeah, with them. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so I learned right then, you know, that there are committees in place for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, especially in a Baptist church, right? We had committees for everything, right? Had committees for committees, <laughs> but uh. Yeah, those guys are there for a reason, and you run things past them. And yeah, you know. yeah, it helps to get an okay from some of the folks, you know, charter members and things like that. Well, and, and what I've learned is, if you you run it past the committee and they say no, and it, it'll kind of hurt your feelings because you thought you had this great idea, right? But in the long run, you realize that these people on these committees are often older and wiser and more experienced, and and 
at the end of the day, it comes around and you go, well, that was a bad idea. Right. You know, right. And, and They've I'm gone glad. through this before a time or two. Right, and it's right. like, yeah. And, it's, and, and that's like, you know, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy, you know, that we're to have mentors in our life that are mentoring us while we're mentoring others. Yeah, it's just a big chain, you know, we, we're all taking care of the next person behind exactly. us. Exactly. So you, you've, been, you've been a preacher, you became a pastor. Do you ever feel like you're a pastor at church again? Uh, if the Lord puts me there, yeah, right now. That's the safe I'm, answer, right? Right, <laughs> yeah. And, but right now I don't feel, I'm not actively seeking a pastorate sure. position. No. I, I feel like I can do more as far as being the church mm-hmm. in the place that the, the Lord has me right now than up in front of a group of people. Right. Uh, I'm always open for pulpit supply and that kind of thing. And I've got preacher friends. I've actually, both of my younger brothers are preachers too, and one pastor's in Alabama and center. So I fill in for him a good bit. I've got a preacher friend up in uh, Menlo area that I'll fill in for occasionally. And as as a preacher and a pastor, you know it's hard to find. Yeah. Sound doctrine to, right, to yeah. help. Well, that's the, the thing. I could get any old body to come in here and talk one day right. when I can't be here, but to get the the guy that you want that lines up with your church theology and all your, you know, that that's tough. Yeah, but you know, it's good to know that there are people out there that will do it. Um, because it, you know, sometimes your pastor needs a break. Yeah, sometimes he needs a vacation. Sometimes exactly. he gets sick. And I had a pastor one time. Tango, this was Ron. Ron Cancellor comes up to me one Sunday morning, our pastor at Castle Baptist, and he was like, hey, I'm sick as a dog. Uh, this is it. You know, church starts at 11, and this is at 10, uh, 1045, 1050. Mm. He's like, I'm, I'm super sick. So if I run off the stage, just go. I always sat in the front row, and I was a deacon, so this just became my job. He said, just go up on the stage, find where I left off in my notes, and just read the notes and then bring the music minister up and we'll close it out. Um, so I was sitting there the whole time. And every time he would like shift his stance, you know, I was like, you're ready to run up <laughs> I'm ready. Because I had preached before. But that was, was going to be a whole different thing. Yeah. Run up there in the middle and be like, well, Ron might be in the back dying right now. Um, but he told me to read his notes. So that's what we're going to do. <laughs> But I guess that's be ready in season and out, right? Exactly. At that's what I've been told you. Only two times I have to be ready to preach, and that's in season and out. That's it, yeah. <laughs> All day, every day, pretty much. Um, but, yeah, that's, uh, I don't know. I, I've had a couple of guys on recently, some guys that had been pastors and weren't again and, and might be again one day, but that was always the question, would you do it again? Um, and it turns out it's not up to us. Exactly. Right. Don't get this. Yeah. It's, it's that call, that that draw, that pull that we feel, and mm-hmm. go. Well, I can't live if I don't do this. I can't live with myself. So, I guess the door's always open, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's there. So pulpit supply. You know, if you guys are out there looking, need a guy, hit Shane up. Let him know. Just uh, what? What do you need? Forty eight hours notice, maybe to. Uh, yeah, possible. that way. Uh, yeah, yeah, if possible. <laughs> I've walked into church services and they're like, "You're preaching tonight." And I'm like, "Oh, okay." Oh, here we go. <laughs> But being ready, though, that's, that's the yeah. thing, right? Yeah. But you, you've got your experience in ministry is quite diverse, right? Because you've, you've pastored a church, you've preached, mm-hmm. stood up in front of congregations. You're talking about interpreting. You've done some deaf ministry. What was that like? Uh, we did that for almost 10 years. Uh, worked with a mission board out of Trenton, Georgia, mm-hmm. Silent Word Ministries. And uh, they've done a lot of work all over the United States. They have work up in up in the Northeast as well, up in Pennsylvania. They've yeah. got a, uh, an office up there. 
Uh, they did a newspaper, and they did Bible study, Bible schools, and they, they would travel around the different churches and do the uh, what they call Fantastic Saturdays, which were events to get the deaf in the community. Yeah. Because if you stop and think about it, how many churches do you know that have an interpreter Zero. available? Yeah. And, and I, <laughs> I actually have a friend that had, had asked on Facebook, for the local churches here, how many have interpreters for right. the deaf ministry? And they're very few and far between. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's and I, I used to tell folks when we were traveling, raising support for the missionary work there, is, is the deaf don't have it as well as we do. In that aspect, we get mad because they paint the church a different color or the right. carpet's the wrong color. We can go down the street to the, you know, down to the next church yeah. because... I pass a hundred churches from my house to here, yeah, yeah. you know, that I could go to at any given Sunday right. morning. Yeah. But the deaf don't have that opportunity. Mm, there, there's point. not a lot of places that offer ministry for the deaf here yeah. in the area. And you would think there would be more being next to the Cave Spring and Georgia School for the Deaf that we right. have. So they're limited. Hollywood, Hollywood did a thing. Maybe they're still doing it. They had a, a deaf church that was kind of attached. To they them. had chartered one there. I don't think it's there anymore. Is it not? Though. I don't know. I haven't no. heard anything about um, it in a while. I actually interpreted it at that uh, service where they what did the charter. Valley Forge. Was that right? It was Valley Forge and... Um, the fellow that was the pastor there, he had moved back to Ohio. Uh, okay. And so I don't think there was anybody that was able to continue the work here when he had moved. Right. Well, that's, I mean, you can't, not just anybody can step into that role. Like, no. you got to be fluent, you know, in sign language. Um, do you get to practice your sign language at all anymore? I don't much anymore, so I'm, I'm rusty. I yeah. can still carry on a conversation and right. I can still get the point across, but I can tell that that it's not as fluent as it used well, to be. I had to learn. I worked with my friend, uh, Dana. She was deaf, right? Dana mm. was so good at being deaf that I worked with her from August until October. And I didn't know. Okay. She was just so good at reading. Dana Tartar. Yeah. You know, yeah. You, know, I was, you probably know Dana. Everybody knows Dana. Um, and eventually she went blind, mm. right? When she couldn't read lips anymore. So I had to learn sign language. Well, I, I can sign. My signing is not bad, but I would sign to her, and she would just talk back to me. So I never really learned to read the sign language. Mm-hmm. So I'm still bad at that. But and I have. I don't see her. You know, I used to see her every day. I don't see her very often at all anymore. And she was the only deaf person I knew. So I don't. I don't get to practice my sign language. That was the whole point of that. Was I don't get to practice anymore either. Yeah. And I feel like I can still do it, but I don't know until I'm on the spot. You know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but it's tough. We don't just have tons of opportunities to practice our right. sign language. Right? And, and it's a lot different, too. Like, I would, I usually just interpret it, and there would be someone else preaching. Mm-hmm. Now, I can sign, I have signed and preached. I don't know that I could do that's it. That's a lot. Now. That's a lot going but on. But that's, yeah, your brain is fried at the end of that sermon. Yeah. Big time. Uh, I can imagine. It, uh, I, I knew that I was picking up a lot of sign language when I would think in sign language. I would catch myself signing to myself, mm-hmm. to nobody in particular, but I would have a thought and I would sign it out, you know. And so I knew I was kind of catching on then, but again, I still, I've never been able to read it. I'm super bad at that. Somebody signed back to me and I go, can you, you know, can you spell <laughs> yeah, it out for me? Slow, uh, slow down. <laughs> but that, that's cool though. And that's a great point that the deaf person who has an interpreter at their church doesn't have the option of getting mad and storming out. Right. They, there's not an interpreter at the church. You know, like, like you said, I pass four or five churches six on the way to this one 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, I could I could get mad and walk out on my folks and go to some other church, and but they can't. Oh, I had never thought of from that perspective, but that's that's interesting. It's a good point. Um, but we, you know, we have all kinds of options. We can go to any old church and get mad and stomp out, and, and it happens, <laughs> right? We've all been part of that at some, well, on one end or the other. Uh, and that's unfortunate, but that's life because yeah. people do people stuff. That's what I always like yeah. to say. Um, so we've established that you are a minister and you're very deep and diverse in your experience, but you do this other thing mm-hmm. that a lot of people are getting to know you for, it seems, and that is hypnotherapy. Right. So, uh, you know, that's like a dog whistle, right? When somebody says <laughs> hypnosis, exactly. hypnotherapy, let's make the distinction uh, if there is one between your uh, hypnotherapist, is there a difference between that and a hypnotist? Not really okay. a difference. Okay, so just in the title, but I do, I am a hypnotist, but hypnotherapist, clinical hypnotherapist, board certified hypnotist, they're all pretty much the same thing. Yeah. When most people use the term hypnotist, though, they're thinking about what they see in TV and movies. The parlor um, trick, right? The parlor trick yeah. or the stage hypnotist show. You right. know, I actually had one one client that come to see me before. And most people that come to see me in my office, what they know about hypnosis is what they've seen on TV and movies. So, uh, you know, it's, it's mind control. And yeah, uh, yeah. and I had one one of the ladies, she was really nervous, and she's like, are you going to make me cluck like a chicken? Why is it always cluck like a chicken? Or, <laughs> or bark, bark like, like a, dog. a dog, right? Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, do you want me to? <laughs> Can you? I mean, are you going to hypnotize me? Please tell me if you. <laughs> but in the clinical setting, what I do is it's more of a state of hyper-focused attention because, okay. and especially now with the the invent of cell phones and the dings and the buzzes and the whistles and the bells, our, our attention spans seem like they're shorter than yeah. they ever have been. Right. And so when they come to see me for help with stress, anxiety, that kind of thing, trauma release, um, quit smoking, which is one that everybody wants. You know, that's yeah. that's one thing everybody knows about hypnosis is right. the quit smoking. I had one guy found out one time. He said, hey, man, you're a hypnotist. You make me quit smoking. I'm like, no, nah, man, I don't really do that. Yeah. I said, but if you weren't a smoker, I could get you up to four packs a day by next <laughs> month. <laughs> Oh, it works the other way, uh, right? right. <laughs> but, but no, I've I've helped a lot of people quit smoking. You and if you follow me on social media, you probably seen my jar as I keep in the office. Yeah, it's with all full the of the cigarette it. packs yeah. and vapes and you know lighters and everything in there. And right. that's one of the reasons I opened the office. Uh, be four years this year that we wow. we've been there. Uh, but my dad died six years ago from a smoking-related illness mm-hmm. and disease that he had. He smoked all his life. Right. And I thought, well, you know, if I can, with this tool that I've been given, if I can use it to help give somebody a few more years with their family and friends, then it's worth it to yeah. me. And So, well, like we mentioned that it's a dog whistle, and you get all these buzzwords and catchphrases that go along with it. How do you reconcile that with your faith? How does that work as far as 
the Christian believer goes. Right. And so again, it's you know, less most people think it's mind control and that's where right. that's where it usually triggers that thought process. You right. know, mind control or voodoo or woo-woo, that kind of thing. And it's not. I try to tell folks, you know, I've I've been a minister for over 30 years. If I thought it had anything satanic to do with it, I would run from it as far as I could. But it's, uh, I tell folks that the unconscious mind that we've been given is probably the greatest gift our Creator's given us apart from salvation. Because it knows you better than you know yourself consciously. Hmm. Your unconscious mind controls your heartbeat, it controls your breath rate, it controls your blink rate without you having to do anything consciously. <laughs> I'm getting conscious of all this stuff now that you're right. doing something and, and So now. I'm watching when you do that, and yeah. I see when you slip into what we call an unconscious moment, because mm-hmm. what it is, trance, entrancement, is you're going inside to look for the resources to process whatever's been said to you. So it's like when you drive down the road and you get somewhere and you're like, wait a minute, I don't remember those last 10 miles. How did I get here? Yeah. Your unconscious mind has taken over and you've gone into the driving hypnosis trance. And so you're in a trance and your unconscious mind does everything it needs to to get you where you're going safely while your conscious mind's off over here. You know, swatting at the kids in the back seat or whatever it is that we have to do to get. (laughs) But but, uh, it's taken over. Or when you're watching a movie and you feel the emotions they want you to feel. Mm. You know, you you jump when it's a scary movie, or you cry when Old Yeller dies, and and it's because you slipped into that trance. You've you're become so hyper focused in that that your body actually reacts as if it were happening. Okay, yeah. And and that's what hypnosis is, but what happens is our conscious mind gets in the way of this a lot of times. And like with pain perception, mm-hmm. we're consciously focusing on that pain. Uh, you know, and, and martial arts, I know you do the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Yeah. And so when you get out there and you're rolling with a guy and you're in a hole and you're like, Should I tap out? Should I you know, yeah, what yeah. have I got it in me to stay in there? It's, it's, it depends on which part of that you're focusing on. And so when you change your focus, then you can change your perception. And when you change your perception, it changes your actions. Okay. So you're talking about a trance. And that that's another one of those trigger things where people mm-hmm. think, you know, that... Like I said, when you think of hypnosis, you think of the guy with the little thing and he's... The pocket the little, watch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when a trance is something that we do... That happens naturally. Yeah, all day long we're in and out of trances. I tell folks most of the time that my job as a hypnotist is to unhypnotize you from the trances that you've been placed into <laughs> throughout life. Right. Um, and, you know, now that we know how the brain, well, we still don't know how the brain works, but now that we have a better understanding of yeah. how the brain works, so with all the scans that we can do and, and see what areas of the brain light up when certain things are thought about or talked about and yeah. that kind of thing, uh, we can direct the process better now. Yeah. Used to, in the old days, like with a stop-smoking client that would come see me, a hypnotist would either go for the aversion techniques, you know, like to try to make it the most disgusting thing, which, <laughs> and, and, you know, I grew up in a house full of smokers, and once I got away from that, anytime I get around it, to me, it is it's one of the disgusting. most disgusting yeah. things yeah. out there. Uh, just smelling it, choking on it. But 
you know, in the old days, they would they would try to turn it on them using that negative reinforcement right. type thing. But now that we know how the brain processes things, we know that positive reinforcement works better a lot of times for some folks. Now, that doesn't mean it works for everyone, and that's why I have folks come in, free consults for every, you know, everybody that comes to see me for whatever reason, we do a free consult first to see if I think I can help them before we get started. And it gives me a chance to learn how they do things. Right. So, you know, with uh, somebody scared of spiders, how do you make yourself scared of spiders, you know, or snakes? How do you do that fear? Right. And so when they give me the details on how their brain creates that fear, then it gives me the tools I need to head in the direction to point them to get them away from that. Okay. So you're you're using what's already there. Exactly. Because it's in the subconscious mind. Right. And And again, that's all a model. Yeah. Everything that we know about how the brain works is a model. Okay. Because we can't actually get in there and see what's happening. Right. We have an idea of it, so we have a model, just like conscious and unconscious mind or a model. Uh, you know, a hypnotic induction or a hypnotic trance. It's a model mm-hmm. because I've worked with folks in a conversational setting that we call conversational hypnosis, where they never go into a formal trance, they don't sit and close their eyes, they don't watch a pocket watch, they don't do any of that kind of thing, but yet they're in just as much as trance and sometimes even deeper than if we were to go through the formal setting. And they're, this is, you're having a conversation the whole just time? Just a conversation. Am I in a trance right now? Is this real life? Possibly. <laughs> uh, it just, at, at any point in... A trance and hypnosis, uh, are you out of control? You know, the Bible says no. the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, you know. Right, right. And, and that's one of the concerns, and that's yeah. one of the things that I address in that consultation with everybody I meet is you're in control at all times, that you could stop this process at any time you want to. Um, I've worked with folks over Zoom calls, video calls. Oh, wow. And it's like, okay, so... If something happens, you're not going to be stuck (laughs) in a trance, right? If we lose connection, in a a minute or so, you'll realize, hey, we've lost connection, and Mm -hmm. you'll become alert. Or if an emergency situation were to take place and you needed to get out of the house, it was on fire or whatever, you know, you would would become aware of that. Your consciousness would take over again. I don't know. This podcast will be nine hours long. I have so many questions now. <laughs> but every, every time you say something, it like creates a new question in my mind. I just, I don't know. It This is the, what hypnosis, I guess, actually is, as it is that you're explaining it, is an entirely foreign concept to me. Yeah. You know, I've been in casinos before when a guy would get up on the stage and pull somebody up and hypnotize them. They would bark like a dog or take right. their shirt off or whatever. And it looks like that person is obviously not in control of what's going on. Because they would either that or they're a plant, right, in the right. audience. And well, they're up. not plants, but the the stage hypnotist will vet everyone before mm. they get up on that stage so to make sure that they're going to perform. Because that's what the he's there is. for, right? Yeah. Well, not necessarily a sucker, but somebody that will perform. Okay. And so, uh, you know, and so he's going to make sure when they're up on that stage that they're going to perform to to so the folks get their money's worth, the value for the right. ticket that they bought. Oh man. Okay. Wait, are you following this? Tank, you good? 
Okay. Are you going to give this a try after, you know, you'll visit Dr. Shane in his office yeah. at some point? I don't know, man. This is... I'm wide awake now. Right. <laughs> back. How long have we been recording here? This is... So, is it... I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to, like, just ask you to divulge trade secrets or anything, but is there a method? Like, is there something you say or a, a path that you lead somebody down to get them to, like, to you called it... Uh, called initiation, trans initiation, induction. induction. Right. How does that work? Uh, well, there's several different ways. You you've probably seen some on TV too. What they call the speed inductions, where a guy like jerk an arm and sleep and drop him into a trance yeah. like that. And that that again, that's more theatrics and right. and stage work and that kind of thing. With what I do, most of the time I work with what we call a progressive muscle relaxation induction. Now, if there are hypnotists out there listening, they're gonna I'm gonna get all kind of hate mail because that's the one that we don't want to do. You know, that's right, right. it's so boring. And the, the the mentor, how we do hypnotherapy today is because of a uh, a man named Milton Erickson. Mm. And he's the father of modern hypnotherapy. He passed away in 1980, but his techniques and tools, and basically he bored people into a trance. I mean, he just, you know, he had all the time in the world. (laughs) And so, yeah, but he would bore them into a trance. And, uh, but what I do is what we call a progressive muscle relaxation for most of my clients. And it's because we don't know how to relax anymore. Right. And so if I can just teach my clients how to do that, when they leave the office, that's a tool they can take with them. Yeah. So that at home, when things start stressing them out, you know, they've got a tool and a resource now that they can use to help calm things back yeah. down. Well, I've seen a lot of your videos, and and you mentioned – giving you the tools to do, you know, whatever right. you need to do. So that makes sense to give them something to take home with them, a mechanism right. they use. I tell everybody that my job is to get rid of you as quickly as possible <laughs> for whatever you come to see me for. Right. It's not right. like, a, you know, a, a, a talk therapist that's going to keep you coming session after session. Right. You know? Well, you want to work yourself out of a job with each person, right? right? You want to you want to fix these people. That's the yeah. idea anyway. Which um, is not good for, you know, a steady income. But. <laughs> right. Like, so you need these people to be fixed, but then to go back and find a different issue and come back. Right. And, oh, I got and, and I do have some clients that do enjoy the experience. Yeah. They like the guided aspect of yeah. it. And so they're regulars. I've worked with them for a couple of years, okay. but it's it's because they choose to, not because I want them coming back all the right. time. Right. Was it you I was reading about? Somebody, yeah, it was, because I was, I've been creeping you on Facebook the last few days, getting ready for this, and somebody was saying, they were talking about how you don't, it's not like a, the, the, the sketchy chiropractor that's like, oh, you're going to come back 32 times, so I yeah. get this worked out, you know, and you don't force people to come back, and no. you don't, you know, you don't force anybody to do anything. Um, everything is of your own fruition, and, you know, you come in free will, and you leave free will, and you, whatever you, I say free will, I'm, I'm five-point Calvinist, so I don't, I don't <laughs> say free will a lot, but, uh, but everything's up to the, up to the, you, call, you don't call them customers, right? Clients, I Clients, guess. Is yeah. A, yeah. So, but it, it was, it's cool to know that, right? And it's not like, oh, this is a witch, witch doctor thing. Right. Where like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you in and hypnotize you and make you think while you're under that you got to come you back. Yeah, keep coming. Yeah. yeah. But it's, uh, yeah, you want to fix people. Right. And that, not see them again. Exactly. So, you're talking about this, this progressive uh, muscle relaxation. Mm-hmm. Did I get that right? I mean, it was, and that reminds me, and you may know about the like the Wim Hof breathing method. Have you ever heard of right, this? Yeah. So I, I discovered that a few years back um, when I was dealing with some pretty serious anxiety, mm-hmm. and that 
I don't want to say it was maybe it was a trance. I don't know because you kind of get there when you're doing yeah. all the breathing techniques. And and I've been in arguments about this before, and people are like, same kind of thing. The lady that told you that uh, hypnosis was demonic or, or mm. whatever, and uh, but it was the same thing. Oh, you, you shouldn't be doing this. They call it breath work, and I'd never heard that phrase before. Right. But it's the same kind of thing. It, it absolutely changes your mindset. And breathing is 100% natural. Yeah. We breathe all the time. Yeah. This, but the way that he does it, it is intentional. Yeah. Right? And I guess it's the same. And, and that's, you know, I don't just do the hypnosis. I work with mindfulness breathing techniques yeah. and that kind of thing uh, with my clients as well. Because the breath is the one thing you have with you all the time. And right. so you don't have to have any other tools. You don't have to have any other gadgets for this right. if you can yeah. focus on your breath. And you're going to lose focus. You're going to yeah. focus on it. You're going to breathe. You know, whatever method you do, if you do like the two quick breaths in and the long breath out like yeah. Dr. Uh, uh, Huberman. Huber, yeah, and then you got the the four, seven, eight that Dr. Andrew Weil came up with. Right, and, yeah. Yeah, and so, so uh, using any of those techniques, what it does is it turns your focus inward mm-hmm. so that you're you're – not thinking about everything else that's going on in the world, you're right. you're focusing on you feel that the space in between your eyes. Like that's, that's what yeah. always happened to me. I could feel like a tingle right here. Right. So that's where I would be focused, and then without even realizing it, I had blocked out all these other things that were going on, and I was focused on this space between my ear, my, between my nose, uh, between my eyes rather. But uh, I guess those are all kind of hand in hand. I mean, is that a trance when I you get into that state where you've got everything blocked out and? Pretty much, I I like to look at it as everything is trance. It's just whether it's a positive trance the, the or a negative of, trance okay. that we're in. All right. So how many people, I need you to come to church on a Sunday and tell me how many people, stand up next to me in the front and tell me how many people Watch are in trance, how many while, I'm trance there, out while, you're, while I'm up there preaching. I can okay. see, you know, eyes shutting and, you know, stuff like that. But, but I don't always know when somebody, because I, I can stare right at you, right, and just be somewhere else in my mind. Right. So I need you to come identify those people so I can minister to them directly. <laughs> but no, this this is cool. It's uh, my mindset coming into this was that I was not going to argue with you about hypnosis because that would just be silly, and I never wanted to have a debate on this. This show is way too lighthearted for that most of the time. Um, but to ask questions from a a genuinely uh, curious standpoint, and and you're making sense. And it's not that I didn't want you to make sense, but this you know, we don't like new stuff. Right. Right. Nobody wants to do new things. Well, and things we don't understand, we demonize. Right, yeah. yeah. So. Which is why hypnosis is witchcraft, and <laughs> we shouldn't do breath work or yoga. You know, I guess yoga could be uh, along the same lines. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I never understood. And there are some aspects when you get into, like, way into yoga that we probably shouldn't do. Um, but to go to the YMCA and stretch and breathe, and breathe. is probably okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, I guess hypnosis is along the same lines as yeah. far as the way that you're explaining it. So what, what have we left off about hypnosis? What, what would you tell people that, that might change their opinion of it that you hadn't already said? Because um, I don't know what I don't know about it still. Right, and, and it would be one of those things. It's like well, a lot of people are like, well, can hypnosis help with this? And mm-hmm. I'm like, well... Let's talk about it, you know, yeah. and and see. Uh, tell me what's going on, how it's affecting you, and I'll let you know, you know, if if I feel like there's something that could be helpful. Yeah. Um, you know, as far as fears, phobias, anxiety, stress relief, it's one of the best tools out there huh. to get rid of. And that's kind of what 
I specialize in now is yeah. stress and anxiety relief. You know, I, I, well, I get weight loss work. clients and yeah. things like that. And uh, some of the, the fun clients, everybody's fun, but some of them that are really fun are those that it's not just for uh, reparative type work. Mm. So it's not just for remedial stuff, but right. it's for generative change as well. And so okay. um, I work with some sports figures that that use it to enhance their sports performance. Right. Uh, with college students that, you know, during finals week, uh, <laughs> you know, test-taking anxiety creeping yeah, in, yeah. you know. Um, I've worked with uh, several folks that do equestrian events now. So mm. like the dressage and the jumping yeah. and all of that kind of stuff. and uh, it, you know, that, that part, I really enjoy getting to work with folks like that. It's not just trying to fix things all the time, yeah. but it's like, Hey, we've got something good here, but see if we can make it a little better. Well, I think that sports has gone a long way to bring hypnosis to the mainstream. Yeah. Cause we hear, especially golfers, right? They go to yeah. a, a sports psychologist or they get hypnotized to help with this hitch that they've developed in their swing. Yeah. And then. You know, why wouldn't you just go to a golf coach? Well, obviously that's not working because these guys are millionaires and they have the best mm-hmm. coaches in the world. Well, whatever it is, they can't get past it. So they get hypnotized and then they come back and win the U.S. Open. Well, like, well, maybe there's something to it. <laughs> you know, maybe it's real. Maybe it works. And But I think sports has gone a long way to, you know, yeah. you mentioned athletes, bringing that into a little more of a household, like familiar type mm-hmm. word rather than, just thinking about a, an episode of Scooby Doo or you know a power right. trick or whatever, <laughs> but uh, it's worth looking at. And I I don't know is it are there people who can't be hypnotized? I haven't run across anyone yet that okay. ha- hasn't. But again, because we're always in a trance, so my job is to spot those trances. Now I've had some people that we haven't been able to do the progressive induction relaxation, or we have our progressive relaxation induction, or we haven't. Uh, or they have a harder time visualizing things. Right. And so we change the direction for them, and we do more of a conversational-style hypnosis. Okay. But, uh, but as far as it, anybody that's come to see me, everyone's been able to experience. Well, that was I've talked to a couple of people about you coming on today and just asking for thoughts and you know things, and people are going, well, I don't know if that would work on me. You know, but I don't know. You haven't run into anybody yet that, no. that it doesn't work on. Well, that's cool. So you're going to be there tomorrow morning, right? Absolutely. <laughs> um, what's your what's your, your practice called? It's Northwest Georgia Coaching and Hypnosis. Okay. So we've we've gone way into the hypnosis. What What is the coaching aspect? It, it's on the life coaching side. So okay. it, it does a lot of – I've taken a lot. You know, I've got the doctorate in biblical counseling. Mm-hmm. So I've, I'm able to incorporate that in my faith into my practice because okay. – um, you know, a lot of folks, and that's one of the Google search terms is like Christian coach, life coaches in yeah. my area yeah. or Christian. And I, I've, they've actually been a few that look for like Christian hypnotist in the area because okay. I, I guess they're, <laughs> most people don't think about that right. as, as a combination. A Christian hypnotist. That's, that's going to be a new one for a lot of people. I yeah. Think. But, uh, cause you just don't, you don't put those two things together typically. Um, so you are you are a Christian who is a hypnotherapist. How do those things overlap as far as the the day to day the the functions that you you carry out as a as a hypnotherapist? When you get to share your faith in your job, or right? I get to share my faith in my job. I get to pray with folks that come in that want me to. I have you know all of my biblical 
accolades up on the wall <laughs> yeah. behind there just because that's what we're supposed to do right, right? Yeah. nobody really cares yeah, I, <laughs> I mean you could i could put them under the bed and <laughs> nobody's ever asked me for my certifications you know that's so that's come yeah. to see me so but they're there and so that that helps bring up the topic a lot of times for yeah. and i get folks that come to see me that would never set foot in a church and i'm mm-hmm. able to be the church for them, you know, to yeah. offer to pray for them, to to share the gospel with them, you know, from from a perspective that they'll actually listen to it right. rather than you know uh, somebody knocking on their door on a Saturday morning with a gospel track shoving yeah. it in their face, kind of thing. Yeah. So I'm able to to be a witness, to right. be the salt and the light. I got you. So you ever hypnotize a deaf person? Yes, it We're can be done because now, right? it's more of into the visual uh, conversational style. So yeah. they're not going to have their eyes closed like most Obviously, people think right? with, with <laughs> hypnosis. But, yeah, they, they go into trance just as well and as easily as a hearing person. All right. So I don't know, listener, viewer, um, I don't know. I, I wasn't going to try to convince people one way or the other. I was just going to let you talk and uh, get it out. And folks, I guess, can think whatever they want. I don't know. Man, are you convinced? Absolutely. Absolutely. Tango's in. He's convinced. I, I'm curious. Like, I'm more curious now, I think, than I was. Maybe we'll sit down some other time and talk more about it. Uh, where are we at on time right now? That's it? Man, okay. We're good to go then, right? Rock and roll. Um. So, man, I, I don't know. I'm, I thought I'd have more to say. I, I'm... Shocked, honestly, I guess, at how receptive I am to this whole idea. Um, do you see people that go from one polar opposite to the other as far as hypnosis after you've explained it to them? I've had a, a few that have come in that have been skeptical of it or their spouse has yeah. come with them. Uh, and that's another thing. My wife works with me, and so she's there in the office with all of my female clients so that we have that. Right. That there, so that they don't feel like I'm in a, a room with a strange man that being I've never hypnotized. met before, hit, being <laughs> yeah. hypnotized. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but uh, but yeah, and so sometimes the spouse will come with them for that consultation and and things, and and they're they're maybe skeptical of it, or or mm. they may be encouraging the other person to come see me. Yeah. And because they believe in the power of it, but the 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 spouse is skeptical. The one that needs the help and so right uh so i've worked with i've seen you know several different mindsets and viewpoints that yeah. come into the office so if two people coming together could you hypnotize both of them yeah i mean you see group hypnosis all the time yeah. a lot of a lot of, especially in the stop smoking realm you know yeah. they do the big groups of that uh which you know in all honesty it has about a 30 percent success rate oh wow but, you know, if you think about it, if you were out of 100 and you were one of the 30 that it's quit smoking, it's right? worth your 70 bucks or whatever it was yeah. for that that uh, session. So, um, And if it didn't help you, if that wasn't the particular way that helped motivate you to quit smoking, you're not out of a lot of money that way. Right. Or if you come on an individual one-on-one basis, usually it's a little more expensive than yeah. like a group session. Well, if everybody's pitching in, that cuts down the cost for everybody. Right. I mean, you know, you're only, you're, you know, the venue you've got, you're paying for that, and it helps cover the cost of that. Right. You ever done a big event like that? No, never never done any as far as the hypnosis goes, yeah. group. Um, 
So it's, it's always been one-on-one at the office. I got you. Man, I don't know. Uh, you got this look on your face, man. Was... I, I'm just in it, and I'm like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> He's tranced out. He might be. <laughs> I don't, what, what are the... Like what? What are the markers that you look for? Uh, it varies with each individual, but there are certain things that I watch for. I watch for complete loss of muscle in the face, mm-hmm. so that, that it just goes blank. There's that no tension, right? Yeah. Um, some of the clients, when they go into trance, they flush, mm. and so you can see the the. You know, the blood comes to the surface and they begin to flush. And yeah. um, I've got one client that uh, she she lets me share her story all the time. And so uh, she's one of the ones that I've worked with for a couple of years that keeps coming to see me. But each time that you experience hypnosis, like the first time most people that come see me, they don't know what to expect. Right. And so it takes a little longer to get into trance because it's all new. Yeah. And so once you've experienced it and you know what it feels like, it's easier to go into trance. Just kind of like with the breath work. Once you got into it and were doing it more, it was more comfortable and right. you could flow with it better. Uh, same with a, a hypnotic trance. And so I've got the one client I worked with for two years. I don't even have to say anything. She can come in and <laughs> sit down in my chair and she's gone, you know, just yeah. instantly flush. I, I can watch her neck flush and... Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, yeah, so we can get right to work. We don't have to go through the induction process with her. So there's no magic words. There's no No. snap my fingers and you'll be awake or uh, not awake. No. Oh, okay. Man. And a lot of it is just communication skills. Yeah. uh, Is what it is. It's it's like I tell my clients that we're learning how to re-communicate with our brain so that it understands better mm-hmm. what we want to happen. Uh, I tell my clients all the time, you, you know, you learn to start using positive suggestions rather than negative suggestions. Right. Like with my stop smoking clients, they come in and it's like, I don't want to smoke. I want to quit smoking. And I'm like, we've got to stop that. So it's now I'm a non-smoker. I'm smoke free. I'm making better choices for mm-hmm. me and my family and those that I love because our brains can't process a negative command. If I say, don't think of a blue elephant, the first thing you have to do is think of one, either a word, a picture, some kind of image concept of a blue elephant before you can delete it from your brain. So you just don't cross that line at all. You're going straight to the positive as opposed to, we have to stop this, or this is bad, or however you choose to vilify it, or, you know. It's like when you take the kids out to eat and you say, don't spill that drink. What are you doing? Oh, they're spilling the drink. <laughs> You're cleaning 100%. the table, right? right yeah. yeah. Or don't run or don't slam the door. Right. So we learn to, to change it. You know, be careful with that drink. Speak quietly. Close the door softly, please. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that yeah. kind of thing. And it, because their mind pictures the drink spilling, the door slamming, them yelling. Right. And it's the same for adults. Oh, yeah. We do the same thing. So what happens then when your client is in a trance and you're talking about accessing the unconscious mind? How do you, where, where is the crossover between the conscious and the unconscious? Because those things would have to overlap at some point, right? To- they do. And with what I, you know, do and the training that I've had, we keep the conscious mind confused. This is sometimes. the technique. 
One of the techniques. Okay. I mean, there's hundreds of techniques okay. out there. One of them is confusion. So I'll use like similar words, like you can present your present conscious with the present moment of this present at this present time kind of thing. Okay. And so it just overloads it because our conscious mind can only process about seven bits of information, plus or minus two at any given time. Right. The unconscious mind's processing millions of bits per second. It's heart rate, breath, blink. Yeah. All of that blood pressure is being controlled by the unconscious. Oh, man. So could you fix somebody's blood pressure with hypnosis? People have benefited from well, hypnosis. I fix, benefit, I guess is um, word. You know, and there's, there's different techniques for all of that depending on what they come to see me for. Yeah. Um, there's one technique that I use called mindscaping that I, I, I haven't personally done this with with someone but i know a hypnotist that's used it that actually developed the the mindscaping technique that uh that i learned from him how to do it but he's seen people with blood disorders reverse change go away from using this technique so and with allergies, you yeah. know, folks but with allergies, because a lot of a lot of allergies is it's like our our unconscious mind thinks that this little yellow grain yeah. of pollen is trying to kill us, and so it goes on full <laughs> alert, <laughs> yeah, to defend ourselves against that, and that's what creates the allergic reaction. Okay, so when we say. I said subconscious mind a second ago at the same time. You were saying unconscious. Are those two things different, subconscious and unconscious? Not really. Uh, I mean, some people use the term differently, but yeah. for me, it's interchangeable. Okay. So, okay. <laughs> so you're you're bridging the gap then between the conscious mind and the unconscious mind and convincing the unconscious mind to do something different? Giving it... Better tools and resources. Okay. Um, because what's happened, uh, we were talking earlier about, you know, how used to they would go for the negative and the aversion therapy right. and that kind of thing. And, and we've changed that up. It, what's happened is like was someone come to see me with PTSD, you mm -hmm. know, severe trauma and stress from, from that trauma. Used to, they would try to regress to a cause. Right. To the one thing that caused that trauma to happen, you yeah. know. But if you think about it, you just use today's Memorial Day when we're recording this. Yeah. So just using that, you see a, a soldier that comes home from war, two soldiers that experience the same event. Yeah. One comes home, severe PTSD. One comes home, fine. Nothing yeah. wrong with it. Yeah. Okay, so is it that event? that caused the PTSD, or is it each one of their individual lives up until that, mm. up until that event happened and how they perceive that event that creates the issues down the road for them? Because there's no one event, you know, with, with us and the events that we've experienced losing a child. Mm -hmm. Some people handle that differently than how either you or sure. I have handled that. Right. And so it's not that one event that causes the issues, but it's all of life's events. It's a culmination. And how we interpret it, perceive it. And oh, so okay. with hypnosis, 
I give, and the unconscious mind picks up all of these tools, okay? So it uses tools when we experience that traumatic event. Mm -hmm. It's picked up tools that helped us cope with it at that time. And it worked. Yeah. And so it's like, hey, this works. This is good. (laughs) This is a good tool. Yeah. But six years down the road, when something else happens that was not that event, the unconscious mind's like, I've got this tool. I can Mm -hmm. use it right here. Yeah. But... That's not the tool that's needed at that time. Right. And so my job is to restock the toolbox. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to use, there's an event that happens, and we feel like that gave us a tool to deal with that event, but we're trying to use that same tool for another event right. that we felt like causes trauma also. Yeah. What is it they say? If if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like Everything's a nail, a nail right? right? Yeah. Oh, okay. We're not supposed to pause like this on audio only. Are we? Uh, that's what we got left. Okay, cool. So we're right at an hour. Man. So I, one other question somebody was like, hey, you need to ask him, is there an example of hypnosis or trance in Scripture? The word itself is not found as far as in the English translations. Right. Neither the Greek. Is a, neither is apocalypse. Right, or grandfather <laughs> or trinity. Or, right, yeah. right. So... And so that's why I have a lot of people like, well, it's not in the Bible, so it can't be good. And I'm like, well, Grandfather and Trinity is yeah, not in there right. either. So. But, uh, but you, know, you know, you have the example in the beginning, in Genesis, when God caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam. You have a, an example of that hypnotic trance concept mm-hmm. happening there with Peter when he's in the trance and and God says, rise, kill, and eat. Yeah. You know, and so he's in the trance there. Paul himself experienced a trance when he said, you know, I knew a man that I don't know whether he was alive or dead right. on the Lord's day. So we have that. He we have John the and the vision and, and the revelation. So we have the concept is there throughout the scripture. The okay. the word hypnosis is is in the Greek. So when you look oh, up in the okay. Greek, because it means sleep in Greek. Okay. So, but now well, that we understand hypnosis, it's not really a sleep. Right. Hypno- hypnosis is absolutely a Greek word. That's uh, yeah, like epignosis or any of those other gnosises that come up in in the Greek. Man, you got to come back. We got to do this again sometime. I enjoyed it. We're gonna have to jump off here because we're just about out of time. But uh, we can talk about karate and jujitsu. I wanted to get to that, um, but uh, we'll do it again. Let's give us an excuse to bring you back, and, right. and I'll have more questions about hypnosis. Uh, maybe we can get Tango to come in and see you, and uh, we'll hypnotize him live on the air. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for coming in. Enjoyed it. Well, thanks very for having much. me. Yes, sir. Absolutely. God bless you guys. We love you. See you next time. Thank you for watching Burnham Podcast. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe.